can I confess something to y'all that will probably end up in a cold open? Um, I don't love The Fifth Element. Oh, it's and a bad film. I mm. felt like I was waiting for something cool to happen that whole movie. Because hmm. I've got, I could see that. I've got my friend Bruce Willie. He's on the screen, and you know he's good for it. But like, we go that whole movie, and like the action scenes aren't fun, and there are Muppets yeah. in it, but they are ugly Muppets. So mm. why did I see it? Huh? I liked it because in place of like big set pieces the entire movie i feel is a set piece just this mm-hmm. huge fucking swing this original yep. content out of nowhere that they have to do so much yes. work in the first 10 minutes like here's the exposition Duh, but see you later <laughs> i did like the world building and i kind of like the environment like i i'm still very compelled by like bruce willis's apartment in that film and whatnot but yeah it's like people talk about that movie like something really cool happened in it and it never did. I watched the whole thing I looking th- for it. <laughs> I think that the thing with that movie is it starts with one hat and they mm. just keep putting more and more hats yeah. on top of those hats. Okay. And <laughs> and they just never stop She's with like, the hats. What there's so there's so many hats. And, and you're here. not impressed that you can balance all those hats <laughs> look, for an hour and a half. Look Johnny? at all these hats. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Um, Your cinema also, shifts, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ugh, I love the the movie Bruce Willis thinks that he's in. <laughs> Here we go. That's the movie that I thought I was watching too. That's the thing. Like he's yeah, but you needed him. Or like not necessarily Bruce Willis, but like someone who's just like I'm playing this like regular action movie because I'm the audience stand-in because otherwise, you, fuck fuck you the audience we're going on a on a rocket ship to nowhere. <laughs> Bruce Willis is the man wearing all the hats. <laughs> <laughs> so many and perched atop all of those hats is Gary Oldman. There we go. We can see the strip of feather weave taken from the civility does not glow crimson red, but brilliant gold. The crowd is grumbling. There is a very high bit of tension in the air. Oromar gives you an expression that's like, if somebody's going to do something, it's got to be you and it's got to be now. Uh, well, this, <laughs> I'm just as surprised as you. <laughs> I think you say that loud enough that like it kind of moves over the rising, like kind of mumbling that's happening in the crowd and it cutting over that draws in a silence that is directed entirely at you. You know, in this moment, you were probably seconds away from, you know, a riot or a fight or screaming and shouting at the very least of some kind. And right now there is a precious window of time where people are waiting for someone to tell them what they should do in this unthinkable situation. Just to to be perfectly clear, Mm -hmm. when you look at this stuff... It looks totally normal until you heat it up, right? Yes, yes. And like normal until you heat it up uh, is maybe even a little bit of it because like I think in the beginning before it started shining this gold, like there was a brief period where it was like a little bit of a rosy red, not quite the same crimson as normal feather weave, but it's the sort of thing where you could have made that mistake. And then that turned into like a a, a rose gold and then a, you know, kind of bright 
brass and then eventually the brilliant gold and is still kind of like slowly drifting back down. Quite honestly, I've never seen anything like this. I could assure you that we got this under no false pretenses and I'm sure it won't surprise you that we didn't consider testing it because well why would you it appears to be perfectly normal until well until it's not make a charm check gladly that feels like this the is most hard upfront travis has been in like, whatever been put on the spot i immediately just like lie 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 <laughs> <laughs> well i think like, this is such a like yeah it's easy to lie about like yourself and mm. like yeah, yeah, I don't even know because this is just so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Love the it. thing is the thing. These are facts. The thing is the thing. Yeah, exactly. Um what kind of check did you say? A charm? Uh, charm. Charm or or actually if you've got any other skill that you would like to substitute. It, it's it's there needs to be some sort of uh, social influence that you are exerting towards this audience uh, to prevent disaster. Okay, I'll do charm. And what's the difficulty again? It's going to be hard. Three purple. Okay. <laughs> that is... Yeah, that's a threat and a failure. Oh! There is a moment where that's rolling over the crowd and then an explosion of everyone from every ship talking at once. Because, again, the thing that we had pointed out about the Tempest Armada crowd is that they are all like the captains and captain's councils from whatever ships were able to move to this area. So they're all people who are kind of used to being in charge in their own way. And like, even if they follow Sifa and, and her commands as the bandit queen, it's also like, if you're somebody who's used to being in charge of things, like you're always a second away from, Oh, I'll step in and help and take over this situation. And that is, is kind of what happens. And like in that moment, like Travis feeling like, you know, the honesty of this is like, it's all the truth, but like the truth is almost the problem because nobody's at fault really, except maybe the red feather syndicate. But like all they were doing was holding this in their, their cargo bay. And you took it because Clearly, they think it's valuable. Gable gestures to Travis like, why didn't you lie? <laughs> what was I supposed why to didn't say? You? What was I supposed to say? Oh, one. look at this red feather weave. That, but the, it's it's the one thing. It's the, the one thing you're good at. You lie about everything else. Why would you lie about this? Okay, well, I take offense to that. I'm good at a lot of things. <sighs> Jonet, do you want to come in? Like, oh, for sure. I feel like yeah. uh, I feel like we would cut to like the same shot of that Jonnet exiting that crowd of people when he first met up with Grace, and it's like the same shot. And but now it's like more rambunctious. Jonnet walks up to the crowd and like can't find an in, and so he just starts like shoving his way in. And so I feel like it's just like bodies and elbows and and shit. And then he gets to uh, yeah, he's he finds Gable pulls up to Gable, tugs on Gable's jacket. What is happening? Yeah, Janet, what is sleeves. happening? Sleeves. Put the sleeves back on. Sleeves. Ah, sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna doubt fire, heaven forbid. <laughs> if I am to teach Jonet one thing. <laughs> Alright, Jonet, Jonet like uh he's like, looks around, there's no place to to change in quotations. And so like he takes <laughs> Gable uh, Gable's coat. coat. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he puts the sleeves on and you can you can still see the seams, it's not clear, and he takes the the, the glasses and he shoves it in his bag. Okay, <sighs> no one knew. What is happening? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, so our feather weave looks like it, it it works. So honestly, I don't know what the big deal is, but it is a different 
color entirely, and I could see how that might upset some people because they're paying a lot of money for a product, and uh, the, a certain elements of the product are different. So it's is uh, it is is it not red feather feather weave? I couldn't tell you that. What I can tell you is that it behaves like feather weave. What? Uh, okay. Uh, kind of trying to like read the room. Are people mm-hmm. like? Is this energy from the crowd? Would this like erupt into violence, or is it just kind of aggravated confusion? <laughs> I think at first it was like just stunned confusion, um, and like maybe was tipping a little aggravated. Then Travis spoke, and there is a lot more agitation in it now like this is an extremely delicate situation and it could tip into like goodness knows what you know Mm -hmm. these are people who were here for like something that was just supposed to be like a bit of ceremony for an exchanging of valuable goods that everybody knew what was going to go down and suddenly it's not. And also these people are Corsairs. So like even on the best day, like, you know, they, they want to be rowdy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. And then I guess last question is, is the redness of the feather weave that we're kind of normally used to seeing, is that redness mm-hmm. indicative of feather weave itself or red feather feather weave? So let's take a moment to do whatever the Skyjack's equivalent of back to basics is and talk about <laughs> Featherweave. Ooh, um, lore. So Featherweave. Yeah. Lore! <laughs> Welcome to the lore corner. Um, <laughs> the lorner. So Featherweave is something is a material uh, that is used uh, to make skyships fly. It moves away from heat, and when it's heated up, it also becomes lighter than air. So it's a very useful material for you know making things fly because all you need to do is have a supply of heat to do it. The Red Feather Syndicate is the only organization in the world that you know of that can produce this material. When we say non-red feather feather weave, that, as far as everyone here knows, doesn't exist. The other thing is there's only one kind of feather weave that people think they know about because nobody knows how feather weave is made and pretty much all of it has the same properties. It looks white, feels very similar to silk. It's incredibly strong and hard to pierce without very specialized tools. When it changes in temperature from a lower temperature to a higher temperature, it briefly glows red and that fades to a non-glowing form of red that looks a bit like blood and that fades further into stripes and that fades further into pure white once the temperature has stabilized. This feather weave does not do it that way. It reaches a point where it's red, kind of like blood for a little bit, and then starts to glow gold, which is not a thing that you have ever heard of. Okay. I guess, John, it's just like, if it d- does it do the thing? Does it hold That's heat? A good, a good question. A good question. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps we could do a test to see if the quality of this weave behaves and performs in the way that weave that we are used to performs. Perhaps we could do a test to show everyone. And perhaps we could test the heat source to ensure that there is nothing uh, untoward with... It. We we like we like pan over pan over to like the guy who's manning the heat source, and he's just like, "Hey, come on, man! <laughs> I just got my torch. I'm just what? What do you want from me?" <laughs> and then there's a shout from the crowd, or maybe the deserters could stop ripping us off. And then there is like more rumbling that unfolds over the crowd, and it reaches a point 
where voices are starting to get high. Maybe one or two things are starting to get thrown. People are going to stand up. And then there is a shot that cracks and rings out through the air. And we can see Oromar Vale is holding his revolver with a bit of smoke coming out of the barrel. And the shot silences everyone. Oromar gestures to Travis to come onto the stage. Travis does. Oromar signs very small and subtly, this calls for grace that I do not have. Look, we all have one goal here. We are all (laughs) united together. For the same thing. I don't believe there's any reason for all of this. We can come together. We can investigate this weave. We can see if it behaves the same or differently. And I think that we can all still walk away from here having made a deal. Leotoa sort of steps in. I think... The Tempest and the Uhuru should meet, and they look over to the Bandit Queen, and Sifa gives a slow and firm nod. And with that, like, Oromar does the dramatic turnaround gesture that that makes his coat flare a little bit. You know, it's something that Dref practiced for a very long time to make sure he could get right. Um, full month. And, And like with that, like uh, the crowd starts, you know, to the voices rise again, but they're not turning that energy towards the stage. They're turning it towards each other. The crew of the Uhuru, I think, is divided. There is a little bit of Gable and a little bit of Travis in each one of them. And depending on what you have more of uh, determines how you react to a situation like this. Those that have a little bit more Gable in them are like, well, if somebody's going to fuck with me, I'm going to meet them head on. And those that have a little bit more Travis are like, I know when it's best to get out of Dodge. And so like the Uhuru crew like does a bit of a divide or starts to get in light shouting matches with everybody while the captain's councils of the Tempest Armada and the Uhuru kind of filter back as Uhi from Ungoni guide them to a private place where they can talk. I want to know... First of all, the only person that we have established in the captain's council for the Tempest Armada has been Leotoa. So I would like to turn to my friends and collaborators right now and ask, uh, who? who else could be on the Tempest Armada captain's council? You can provide one detail about this person. We'll make them up together. Oh, it's just one person? Yeah, uh, we, can, we, can do, we can do two, you know. Their name is Krampus. Okay. All right. I'm not saying no yet. <laughs> <laughs> they are jolly. And oh. they only appear during Christmas. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is canon. So we kind of mostly I, are thinking about Christmas stuff right now, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you definitely nailed it. Yeah, yeah. I think that they're... Um, you know how some some people kind of look like... <laughs> trees ooh i think they kind of look like a tree you know just like sort of a longer um face with like um i i, I don't know there's like bark like wrinkles kind of you know what i'm mm. talking about like it's yeah. like, like a tree looking person <laughs> there is a, a thing that they made up in courier's call that we could adapt to this so this person has like kind of a almost sickly pale or yellowish quality to their skin. Like they don't look like a normal person. Like if you look at them, you go, that person might be sick. I don't know where most people have like kind of red highlights in their skin or flush. uh, This person's got like green kind of highlights Mm. and they've got that kind of barky skin and like long beard and that like very hollow look to their face. Like they, it's just, there's something about this person that screams tree. All right. 
And I think Krampus is going to be, uh, let's see, Leotoa, I believe, is either the quartermaster or battlemaster. I don't think we, I'm going to make Leotoa the quartermaster because we haven't established anything, I don't think. And if we did, it was probably quartermaster. So Krampus is going to be the helm. All right. Who's next? Who's our other person? I like the idea of a helms person that they are themselves very like lightweight and small. Mm. And the way they counteract that is by like hooking on weights to like their ankles and waist. Oh, oh so they, yes. Do they jingle? Like, do they? Yeah, a, a, little, a uh, little bit. Like, like, that, like but, a heavy, <laughs> like an earthy jingle, like an earthy, mm-hmm. like contact i love that oh and whenever they're not away they're away from the wheel it's like they're walking a little bit too light because they've had just had ankle weights on mm. for hours and hours gosh yes this person looks so cool um <laughs> yeah they it is a little like this person they're probably i want them to be really short they're like mm-hmm. five nothing or maybe like four ten they are like so short but they and and they're also like light like they are not heavily muscly like uh Hildred was 52 mm-hmm. but she was like 52 built like a goddamn brick mm-hmm. this this person is a small person and like even if they were taller they would still be small but they wear this really cool outfit that like clinks with like a solid clink of like iron on iron and i i think they have ooh like a little bit more like caramel quality to their skin but like they're dressed like kind of bright and joyfully like i think they've got like two ponytails that like you know how some people have ponytails that almost look like little bear ears that they've done up like mm, yes. that's the yes. kind of thing that that they mm. do and i think they've got bright makeup as well is is, is this an e-girl <laughs> a little bit yeah 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 yes oh no <laughs> oh no Absolutely. Uh, this person would be on that TikTok grind if there was uh, <laughs> Skyjack's TikTok. What 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 name do we want to give them? What did we name the the other person? Uh, Krampus. 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 <laughs> oh, oh, we're going with that Krampus. Yeah, and Krampus. Uh, I guess will be the battle master then. Um, if this person is going to be Helms. <laughs> Kringle. Kringle. Ah. <laughs> uh, 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 Oh. Yeah, that's yeah. what it is. All right, somebody. Oh, somebody did it. So we got Kringle and Krampus. Oh, <laughs> Such happy February! Characters. Happy Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> well, those the Bandit Queen has a Christmas ship. <laughs> the Tempest is a Christmas thing, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah. They come out from like the the side stage and they they move in very quickly. Leo Toa looks extremely nervous and looks to to you, Gable, because like you were kind of a solid person that had negotiated with them before and had assured them yesterday that like you had been as upfront and honest as you possibly could have been about the whole situation and this thing that should have just been the smoothest thing in the world and everybody could go home is now turning into a thing. Uh, hi. So very sorry. You have to understand that if we had any inclination that this weave was anything other than what we thought it was, this is our mistake. We should have tested at first. It, trusting the the bounty of the civility, our mistake. We don't know what they've been doing. Perhaps this is stolen. Perhaps this is experimental. First of all, apologies are on the table to everyone. And quite honestly, if we were trying to trick you, we would have done a better job. At that, like, Sifa (laughs) has, like, rounding the corner, getting away from the crowd, like, breaks uh, her mask of, like, dead seriousness, uh, giving nothing away, and she cracks a smile. (laughs) 
I would have liked to have seen you try. <laughs> the crowd pretty good and pretty good what the they think of the situation is immaterial. If this is a true discovery right now, we have learned larger news than I thought possible. We'll work out how to appease the crowd momentarily, but our two factions, seeing as how we are now united, uh, she turns to Orimar, we must figure out what to do with the information that there is more to Featherweave than we have known. And I believe that perhaps that is what the syndicate was trying to conceal when they buried this material in the hold of the civility. Orimar's expression doesn't move, but he does look to all of you and signs to Travis Grace. And like a door is opened for you. Like, I think this is, this is like a restaurant that is closed. Somebody just like uh, had a key and they open it up and they like clear things out of the way and they push tables away and like are putting down blankets and cushions or whatever so that your group can be on the floor. The Uhi, like one of the Uhi, this person is a woman who appears to be in her 70s. And Janet, you can see this woman has aged so much more gracefully than Hawano. She's got a completely like silver, maybe a little bit of dark gray in her hair. It's like all poofed up and she's got like a single little, I guess it's a bun, like a little bun on top. Uh, she is in bright, bright colors and she's got beautiful colored tattoos of hexes that go up her arm and uh, she smiles to everyone. I'm going to go see to the crowd. Please take the time you need, but don't take your time. Um, (laughs) And like with that, uh, the doors are shut. You can see there are uh, strong men and women uh, who are from Ungoni who like kind of sit outside and you can already hear the calls of a few people who are maybe trying to push their way in and be a part of this meeting. But what we have here is the captain's council of the Uhuru, including Bathroom Barry, and with the addition of Travis, and the captain's council of the Tempest. Can we either have already gotten or get now, like, basically a sample of this weave and yeah, like have regular like feather feather weave. I think you Gable and Leo Toa have it because like Leo Toa, you know, had chained up like the weave to do the display in the first place. I don't think Leo Toa would have put that down. So Leo Toa has like the original strip that came from one of the Armada ships and the strip that Oromar cut off of the feather weave from the civility. Then let's lay them down side by side on like a long table so we can compare. Yeah, you you lay them down and they look very similar. Like if they hadn't been cut differently, it would be almost impossible to tell them apart. As you lift them up, they have a similar heft. They have a similar texture. It's really, really difficult to tell them apart. Can we try and cut this new stuff with something other than like the special feather weave scissors? Absolutely. Uh, who wants to show off the, the cutting device they have? Oh, Travis probably has some fucking pocket knife or something. Oh, Johnny. And maybe this is too far. But can can Travis have a butterfly knife? It feels. I was thinking it, but I didn't. I also yeah, didn't dude. know if it was too far. But I feel like he does do some knife tricks. Yeah, dude. Well, he does mostly knife tricks. He he goes, I can, like, I'll handle this. And then he does four minutes of knife tricks. <laughs> and like, we know Travis definitely has that knife on him because he learned his lesson when he had to have a bird bite his hand off earlier. It's like, you, mm. you gotta have your knife on you. God, just rolling my eyes like into the back of my head and around. <laughs> uh, but you gotta admit it's pretty cool though. <sighs> Uh, the knife cannot pierce it. Huh. Um, 
just just like it would be for for normal feather feather weave like you can drag the knife across it and that will do nothing you can stab the knife into it and it might force the weave down into a dent you make in the table or ground but it won't pierce the material itself honestly i i hate that i can't cut it because that would have at least given us some something well, it certainly would have put us in a better negotiating position over the price. <laughs> well, sure, but, you know, <laughs> it just would have been nice to know what's going on. Hey Heroes, it's James, your Game Master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, I have a new book coming out. The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide is a book that I am pretty sure will interest fans of the Skyjacks podcast because here we love world building. If you're new to the GM role and a little bit intimidated by the prospect of world building, or you're an old hand just looking for fun new ways to do it, the Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide, which is a mouthful to say, has tons of prompts, activities, and mini-games for you to play to help make the process of world-building easy and fun. It covers multiple RPG genres, can be used solo or with a group, and it has a foreword by my dear friend Patrick Rothfuss. The Ultimate RPG Game Master's World Building Guide is coming out on May 25th, but you can pre-order it right now by heading to bit.ly slash ultimateworldbuilding. And while you're there, you can check out some of the other books in the Ultimate RPG series. I want to give a quick thank you to everyone who applied to audition for the part of Oromar Vale. We're currently reviewing all the applications that were sent in, and over the next couple of weeks we're going to be following up. I can't project how long the review period is going to be, uh, because we're a small operation here. But applicants will be hearing from us soon, and when we're ready to make an announcement of any kind, you'll hear about it here on air or over on our Twitter. Thanks everyone, good luck, and take flight. Heroes, I am so excited about the Patreon bonus content we've got coming for you this month. Next week on April 20th, nice, our Patreon is going to air the first episode of a Skyjack's Courier's Call side story where they meet Jolly Jack. And discerning listeners will know that the Courier's meeting Jolly Jack means fan favorite Margaret is part of the story as well. So if you haven't already, you'll definitely want to head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up to be a supporter at the $5 level or more. That'll get you access to this series and all of the other wonderful bonus content over on the OneShot Patreon. A huge thank you to everyone who supports us already and everyone who's going to support us in the future. Speaking of Courier's Call, I want to remind everyone that we are soon going to be launching a Kickstarter to fund Season 2 of the Courier's Call story. Drew's told me a little bit about his plans for Season 2, and I am so excited for y'all to hear about them. If you are interested in a Season 2 for Courier's Call, or just more Skyjack stuff in general, I recommend heading over to bit.ly slash skyjackscrew. That is the Skyjack's mailing list where we preview all of our newest stuff, and there are definitely going to be goodies for the Courier's Call Kickstarter, so sign up now if you haven't. Now, with all of that out of the way... Let's get back in the sky. Can I can I get some fire? I need, I need fire. I want to see. Uh, Travis pulls out his Zippo, <laughs> does a couple lighter tricks. Four minutes of lighter tricks. Starts it with a snap. So one of the cool things about lighters, uh, as we can uh, sort of do a small detour into nautical nerdery, is that lighters predated matches, which is a thing that I was surprised to learn. And there are all sorts of very cool lighters that sailors would use because in wet environments, like you don't have a lot of options. And one of the coolest ones, my favorite one, like when I read about it, I, I went out and bought one of these immediately. They are rope lighters. The way it works is you... It's this little device that has like this little spinny piece of flint and whatnot, but there is a little metal ball that is hooked on to just like a piece of cotton rope. 
and you have singed the end of the cotton rope. And if the co- the end of it is singed, like when you pull up the little ball and flick your fire at it, that will like catch it and make it like glow red. And the more wind you have going at it, the hotter it will burn. It doesn't produce flame, but you can still light things that way. And it's the sort of thing when you're on a ship in high wind conditions, it's not going to go out the way a normal lighter or a match would. So, okay. I just looked this up. These are extremely tight and I feel like I want to get one. They fucking rule. (laughs) It's only nine bucks. I know they're so affordable too. and you don't need any accelerant or anything. Like they don't need that, lighter fluid. That's the thing. I have a Zippo and the the fluid just like evaporates over time, even yeah. if you don't use it. So it's yeah. like, and I don't smoke. So it's just like a fun thing to have. Uh, you just now have this. Yeah. I they have roll. seen it. Huh. Oh, that's. Um, I don't yeah, think I'm gonna it. get one of these. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I, I I don't think it is hard to like take one of those out and then like light a candle with it or something like this is a restaurant there. There there are ways to make fire here. Yeah, I think John, it definitely wants to light a candle, a small fire source. And then he turns to Travis and is like, all right, I'm going to I'm going to put this underneath the featherweed that we know from the syndicate and just count how long it takes for it to turn red and stop turning and stop changing color oh okay yeah yeah no i love this little experiment so yeah like you you hold the weaves there and you see the color start to change like as soon as you touch either weave and as it moves from a room temperature close to your body heat like it's like you're leaving a a bloody fingerprint on the fabric Mm -hmm. um that's one of the like kind of kind of uneasy and weird things about touching weave uh which is not something that you get to do a lot because usually weave is all the way up on the sails and is warmer than you are but as you get like that kind of uneasy thing you bring it over the candle and it is like blood pours out over the substance and you feel the weave get lighter as it does like it moves to a point where, you know, you feel the heft of it and you feel it less and less and you don't feel it at all. And then you feel it start to lift in the other direction and slowly drift up until this thing that was this solid silk fabric suddenly feels like it is smoke itself dancing at the edges. And you have to like work a little bit to put it to the fire the regular weave eventually starts to glow red and as you get it hotter and hotter starts to like try and slip out of your hands and and get into the air the weave that you took from the civility follows a similar set of steps there is a moment where it is turning red and it looks like it is bleeding over but about at the point where it starts to tug away and got to where the other bit of feather weave was going to uh, glow red it moves again through that sort of it's a little bit rose gold it's a little bit brass and then it is a gleaming gold that actually illuminates the room a little bit I will need a perception check from Jonnet is doing this. So Jonnet, how hard I'm going to put it at hard because it might be something that you're not looking for. Ah, (laughs) okay. So that's going to be, that's going to be three threats total. Oh, okay. You know, you are extremely focused on just like studying the visual difference. We've got threats here. So I'm going to say that somebody else notices it. You know, you you pull it out and like the conclusion, Jonathan, that you've reached is apart from this color, they're the same. Okay. What's the difference? Uh, They're both weave. They both float. This one's glowy. Why, Why is everyone so mad? Krampus looms in. Your weave took a full minute longer to fly. 
So what? Okay? It takes a little longer to to get to that point. All right? Put some more fire under it. it it's still good. That was not an accusation, young sir, but an observation. Sorry, One, you're, you're very dead. You're very deadpan. I didn't know how to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Krampus just nods. <laughs> I get that a lot. Does one? Does one stay? Once you take the heat off, does one stay floating longer? Mm. Uh, you know, this is something that I haven't uh, really thought through, but I will pull a luminary for it because this is like a major bit of world lore. I think we have a good merchandising opportunity. Hang on, hang on. Ooh, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> God, I need Fucking. to see. I need to see the notepad notes from every other session. <laughs> this is the this first is- note I've ever taken, <laughs> <laughs> and it's a million dollar note, baby. <laughs> uh, Would that be cool pronounced Dasita? <laughs> For everyone who is not able to see what's right. happening, Johnny did hold up a note with with a Stussy. Uh, in front of Sita or the cool S if you don't. The cool S. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Does, is that like a, a deep regional thing? Do, do people know what I mean when I say Stussy? Like, I think I know everyone that knows what it's what... called, but I know it I know it as as a sick S. Yeah. It's also not in the in the real world has nothing to actually do with Stussy, but we've all just decided that it does. That's wild what is, to me. Isn't that what is weird? Stussy? What is what is Stussy? What is it's like a skate brand. Oh. <laughs> Liz was so disappointed. Like, I thought it was a um, interesting symbol. I pulled the bounty, y'all. Uh, <gasps> so it does stay up longer. Cool. It takes a, a longer time to come down. Well, it, it seems like though it takes longer to rise, it does stay in the air longer. It holds the heat longer. Then the question is why would the syndicate conceal it? Well, maybe the syndicate didn't make it. Yes, perhaps someone else has figured out how to craft their own weave. Then for the syndicate, this is the most dangerous substance in all of Sphere. The syndicate could be trying to improve upon its recipe. Sifa nods at that. And Ormar, I, I, I think, walks up next to the the gold weave, which is like still like now slowly drifting down. It's starting to transition out of gold. And we get this very cool shot of Ormar's face where like the gold is reflected in his eyes and whatnot. Uh, it's going to make a cool poster when we're finally promoting this as a TV show or movie. So Hollywood, like get ready to do this one. Get ready to make some money, I guess. Um, all right. So if that's the case, Kringle like chimes in uh, because Kringle could do nothing but chime in. If, that's the case. Why is it in the civility? Uh, we still don't know where their manufacturing facilities are, right? No. And Sifa gives, gives a nod, but looks to Oromar for confirmation. And Oromar freezes because one thing that we established earlier is that he doesn't know how to nod right now. He freezes for a moment and then signs, my voice is wounded, and gestures broadly to the room to, you know, Travis Gable, Bathroom Barry, and uh, Jonnet that, like, you should speak uh, to whether or not the Uhuru knows about the locations of manufacturing facilities. Which the answer is no. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> but to double check. Well, no, of of course not. No. So then, 
if this was an experimental material that they were working with, my instinct would say that it would be at their facility and the first time we'd encounter it would be on a ship. If they're holding it in the civility, which, you know, as as as, as far as we knew, was kind of a temporary holding facility for valuable objects. Like, if they're holding it there, they were trying to get it to a testing facility and it wasn't safe on any ship. Like, the one thing about the civility is nobody would be stupid enough to hit it. Well... <laughs> Well, stupid ironclad crew and solid. The captain winks. (laughs) (laughs) I've been called a lot of things, but nobody isn't one of them. (laughs) (laughs) God damn it! Oh, come on! Wow. (laughs) Um. So then we're back to them trying to conceal it, conceal it from prying eyes, and make sure that it stays safe. That would be the only thing that I could think. The only reason I believe it would be aboard the civility. And also something that they are trying to keep quiet. The civility was alone, unaccompanied by any warships. Even though the civility is a sufficient warship on its own, if the Armada had heard that there was truly valuable cargo aboard, we could have overwhelmed them with ten ships. 12 ships, as many as it took to take what we needed to take from them. But they kept it quiet, kept it away. They don't want anyone to know about it, let alone have it. I wonder if the crew of the civility knew what they had. If they knew that they were transporting this weave. You all think back to the people that you briefly interacted with aboard that boat. There were a lot of soldiers. Thankfully, most of them you managed to seal onto the lower decks with a fire. And there was, you know, Franz Fishhook, the truly unhinged and violent captain with dark powers that come from a mariner's mark. And also accompanying him, an unnamed bishop of the Church of the Slain God. Is the weave imperfect? Well, I guess that depends on what your definition of perfection is. It is not like weave that we are familiar with, so one might consider it flawed. However, I think we've seen from our small bit of testing that it merely possesses properties that are different from and parallel to a weave that we are familiar with. But if it takes longer to heat up and holds on to the heat for longer— that makes me think that it might be more durable. Uh, the the material, it's still feather weave, but it might be more dense and which requires more heat and and would hold on to that heat for longer. The opportunities that we have on an engineering side are unpredictable at this point, says Leotoa, looming in over the weave. Our goal for this was Ironside ships. The problem with Ironside ships is you need much more fuel to keep them aloft. But if this weave holds the heat for a longer period of time, then that limitation isn't something we need to be concerned about as much. But it also means that it's harder to get this weave going. It probably won't be as swift or maneuverable as ships with traditional weave. Oh, man. Well, I mean, perhaps this new weave could be used for iron sides, large transport ships, and the traditional weave could be used for scouting ships and, and vessels that need to be more agile for combat. I think everyone in the room nods. One of the fun things about this room is it is full of people who are brilliant tacticians. And I think all of them, when presented with new possibilities, immediately imagine the things that they could do to take advantage of those things. Well, if this weave came from the Red Feather Syndicate, then we have cause for concern. 
The Red Feather Syndicate could deploy very effective ships using a strategy that they prefer using weave like this. The Red Feathers have strength in numbers and resources. They can afford to burn more fuel than the Armada can, or really any organization, privateer or corsair, could. They can also afford to have more ships, more hands, more people. With ironside ships or really anything, they could merely overwhelm using as few resources as possible to keep themselves in the air with as large ships as possible. But if this is truly something that is not from their workshops, then it is something that they will not use because they do not want the world to know about it. And if we can discover the secret of how it's manufactured, master its properties, there is an advantage there that we have not held in a long time. The fall of the Syndicate is now and was always inevitable, but it could fall with far less bloodshed. If we use this feather weave, whether or not it came from the Syndicate or a different source, the story is the same. We control the narrative. The implications across the skies are that different weave exists. And that might be enough. Siva smiles brightly. I can see why Oromar chose you for help. You think very much the way he does. on the aviary of the Uhuru uh, where we can see Metatron inside one of the massive cages in the belly of the Uhuru uh, and we see a group of orphans uh, also known as prisoners aboard the Uhuru that are kind of excitedly gathered around the cage. Jonnet is in the back of the uh like at the back of the group, he's kind of got his arms crossed, uh, leaning against like uh, a pillar, and he's just kind of saying to the fr- uh, yelling to the front, "You're not supposed to feed him steak." Mm-mm. What? Bad idea, what? kid. No, no. I I was I was given the job of feeding the birds, and this is a raptor, and I read that raptors eat meat, so. Uh, I opened up a fresh crate of these J.D. Lightfellow uh, certified dry-age steaks, and I'm going to put my hand fully in the cage uh, to feed this bird. Buddy, you're going to waste a you're going to waste a good hand on a and a good steak on a bad bird. Mm-mm. <laughs> Uh, the orphan looks defiantly at Jonnet, uh, and uh, there is a there's a very clean and well lit shot of the the case of JD Lightfellow's certified dry aged steaks. <laughs> um, the box opens and, and, up when it when it's <laughs> when uh, when you do get the full shot of the the steaks, you hear uh, JD in the back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah! the, 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 the kid reaches in and there's this again beautiful kind of slow-mo shot of the steak coming out of the box and then the kid uh, slowly starts to put their hand uh, holding the steak through the bars of the cage um, and we get a very close-up shot of Metatron's eyes like kind of focusing on the steak as the kid is doing this uh, as the hand reaches shakily into the cage and as Metatron's pupil dilates quickly <laughs> with the 
with uh, a sizzling steak inside that is also in the shape of a child's hand, uh, a hand <laughs> whips out and grabs the child's hand firmly and ho- holds it and pulls it th- and throws the child into the air. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, the child goes, Whoa! and to the other children, they see a gable standing there I wouldn't do that if I were you, kids. It's unsafe to feed condors with oh raw my God, meat that kid, if you haven't done it before. He's still ascending. Oh, no. <laughs> Gable, what have you done? John, Hold John immediately runs off and like, he finds a ladder and he starts climbing into a crow's nest to maybe f- get the kid. He's got like a giant like butterfly net. <laughs> Remember, uh, never mess like with a wild animal or trained animal if you haven't done so before under the uh, super supervisory eye <laughs> of an adult. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the kid is down from the ceiling. Oh, oh it's so high. <laughs> I can fall at any moment. And my hands are yeah, still yeah, yeah. slippery with the sweet, sweet juices from this JD Lightfellow certified dry aged steak. Now, who wants to watch me feed a bird safely? Hi there, I'm Travis Madigal, and I'm a different bird. And I'd love to help Gable demonstrate the safe way to feed a bird. There is a child dangling from the crow's nest. He is being supported by a rusty nail that is slowly... Someone help me! Well, that sounds great. That means he's not going to fall to his death. He's safe. And that means he's not going to feed a bird improperly. Now, over here I have a tub of seed. Cool. Can I have the steak? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And that's how you do it on the Hoover. (laughs) Uh, all the orphans turn around and give the camera a big thumbs up, except for the one uh, that falls uh, from the upper rafters, only to be saved at just the last minute from Jonnet swinging in from the side. <laughs> what did we learn um, yeah, today? And we get you like tell a me very. What, you look me in the eyes and tell me what we learned today. <laughs> 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 What's the lesson? I gotta, I gotta have supervision. I gotta have supervision if I'm gonna feed him. You gotta have freaking supervision. Don't ever let this happen again. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the, those are the words that like 90s style like spin up with rainbow text like uh, behind them. Boom boom. <laughs> Don't ever let this happen again. Don't ever let this happen again. That's it. That's that's our thing. <laughs> Don't, Don't ever let, let this happen, happen again. again. <laughs> Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Design Doc started as a podcast about designing a role-playing game. Over the years, it's turned into so much more. It's a show about the challenges of burnout, making money from creative projects, and what goes into bringing a game to life. Come along with Hannah and Evan in a living documentation of the game design process. One review described it as the audio equivalent of taking a hike with a good friend. You can search for Design Doc on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like System Mastery. System Mastery is a delightful stroll through the history of role-playing games. Except the games are terrible and the hosts are real jerks about everything. Join hosts Jeff and John as they explore the weirdest games ever made to talk about what worked, what went wrong, and which Silverhawk was the best. It was Hotwing. You can find their shows at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or through a link on the OneShot website. Finally, Jonet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore. 
or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who could be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y, P-O-N-E-Y, or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The world of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Health to the strangers who've ever been kind And once for our friends ne'er to rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky